Let me call you to worship this morning and let us sing from Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Psalm 5 and verses 1 to 7. To the chief musician upon Nehiloth, that is, uh, wind instruments, a psalm of David. Give ear unto my words, O Lord, my meditation way. Hear my loud cry, my King, my God, for I to thee will pray. And verses 1 to 7, to the tune of Spor or Spor. Yeah. 
consecutive reading of God's Word takes us to Genesis 29. Genesis 29, and it is a short portion from verse 15. <coughs> Genesis 29, verses 15 to 20. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, my kinsman, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, and that would suggest she was short-sighted and was squinting. But Rachel was beautiful and well-favoured. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And just maybe one comment and application that we see here, that he loved Rachel, he desired to have Rachel, and he was prepared to work seven years for Rachel. What is this working of seven years? He's not buying her, he's not purchasing her, what he's doing is he's, he's earning a dowry. He didn't come uh, with any wealth to give a dowry. A dowry is a sort of an older, uh, you could call it, we could literally translate it from, uh, from Dutch and call it the bride price. It is the price uh, of the bride that would be given to the family. Um, but also if the, fa if the wife was found to be displeasing or it was found that she was an unfaithful woman, shall we say, uh, then she would be returned and the bride price would be given back. So that's the idea behind this. He's not purchasing her. He's, he's, he's giving her the dowry um, to uh, Laban and, and earning it seven years. Seven years is a, is a large dowry to be given. And he was prepared to do it because he loved Rachel he desired to have her as his wife. But notice then with the seven years that we have, seven years, he's prepared to wait seven years. Some people will not wait seven minutes, but he waited seven years until the moment was that he had earned the bride price, earned the dowry, and then he could get married. We'll see that there is a marriage ceremony. So he's not stealing that which is not his. He's not stealing her innocence stealing her virginity uh, before he, as her wedded husband, has the right to take it. 
and he waited patiently and purely uh, for seven years for her. But notice, they didn't drag out. They didn't drag out. It says, and they seemed unto him but a few days. He had that intention of being a holy man uh, unto the Lord and treating his fiancée, we might say, his betrothed, with the respect that she deserved. Until she is his wife, she is his sister. A sister in the Lord, a sister in the family. He would treat her as, a, as his sister. And as you would not approach your sister, he would not approach her. We'll leave that application uh, where it is. Uh, may the Lord bless it to us. Our consecutive singing, uh, we take from Psalm 35. Psalm 35, and you may have noticed from Psalm 5 that our theme today is prayer, and specifically fasting, prayer and fasting. And so Psalm 35 and the first uh, seven verses. Verses 1 to 7. Psalm of David. Plead, Lord, with those that plead, and fight with those that fight with me. Of shield and buckler take thou hold. Stand up, mine help to be. And so verses uh, 1 to 7. Psalm 35, singing to the tune of Evan.
Our reading from God's Word takes us to the prophet Daniel this morning. The prophet Daniel. So immediately after Ezekiel and the prophet Daniel. And chapter 9. which we see Daniel humbling himself with fasting and seeking the Lord by prayer and supplications in sackcloth and ashes. I'm praying to the Lord a very solemn prayer on behalf of the whole nation. Daniel chapter 9, and we'll read the whole of the chapter together. Daniel chapter 9 and reading from verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day. To the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off. Through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings, to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. And therefore the curse is poured upon us, And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, 
because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us, yet made we not our prayers before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hast, brought, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renown, fame, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city, thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not, delay not for thine own sake. O my God, for the city and thy people are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yet whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince 
that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Amen. Let us take up our psalm books once again to sing from Psalm 69. Psalm 69, singing from verse 5 to verse 11. Psalm 69 and verse 5. Lord, thou my folly knowest. My sins not covered are from thee. Let none that wait on thee be shamed, Lord God of hosts, for me. Verses 5 to 11 of Psalm 69, singing to the tune of Saint Flavian.
Let's please stand to pray. O Lord Most High, will Thou help us now in this short petition to approach Thy throne of grace. As we have considered and heard the solemn supplications of Daniel, pleading for the nation and for his own sins, we pray for help as we come to open the Word of God, that Thou would help us, Lord, even in our, with our own foolishness, that we will not listen. And in listening, not apply and not do. Lord, that we would not be distracted by others and we would not distract others, but that we would listen to God's voice speaking to us this morning. Give help and grace and be merciful. Open our hearts and our minds that we may understand and believe. And give help to thy servant this morning who has ever needs much help from thee, looking to thee, for thou art faithful and kind. Thou art merciful and to me and to thy flock and hast helped in times past and therefore we and I am encouraged to pray again for help. And Lord, as we consider these matters this morning, that we may receive help from above to apply these things in our lives. Give help. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So as we're approaching uh, the time for our prayer service, we could say it's the annual prayer service, but It'll be the first time for this congregation, of course, to pray at the beginning uh, of the growing season, and then that's complemented with a thanksgiving service after harvest. It's good to consider as we're making preparation for that, to consider that times of prayer and fasting used to be done on a national basis. Yes, there is the day of thanksgiving in the calendar. But in many, many nations, many Christian nations, especially reformed Christian nations, it will be done on a national basis, called out even from the civil magistrate that it would be done uh, in, uh, on a certain date as agreed with the churches. There'll be other days of prayer and fasting as well in days of national emergency. Certainly in the Second World War, that was called more than once. Uh, no doubt here in Canada as well as in the United Kingdom. But throughout the history, especially since the Reformation, such days were called public solemn fasting, where the people were encouraged to fast and to come into the houses of God and to beseech the Lord and to spend that time praying for the Lord's mercy in times of judgment, in times of war, in times of 
of real plague in times of all these matters. Daniel chapter 9 being a great example, although he would be praying there on his own. In Holland, in Holland, as you well may know, in the second week of March, there is a similar uh, time of prayer, the, first when, the second Wednesday in March. It would be the day of prayer for crops and labor, the bidach for chavas and arbeid. And that's something the Dutch Reform brought over to Canada with them. And such days were not only that seasons of prayer and seasons of public worship devoted to that time of prayer, seeking the Lord's help at the beginning of a new agricultural season, that the Lord would bless the work and bless the, bless the, uh, the crops, bless the animals, and bless all of industry, bless all the work at home and in schools, etc. But it would include that fasting a time of doing without food and replacing that with more prayer. And of course, those days of prayer are based upon the example, many examples found in, in Scripture. You may know that John the Baptist and his disciples regularly fasted. And the early church itself had the habit of, of fasting every week on Wednesdays and Fridays. There are some parts of the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican Church that still still do a, a Friday fast. Uh, it may just be fasting from red meat and eating fish instead, uh, which is a very, uh, a very poor example of fasting. Um, and then they've got the lengthier uh, fast at uh, Lent in the 40 days leading up to Easter Saturday. Again, what form of fast is that? Giving up chocolate or some very light, almost no fast. But fasting amongst Reformed Christians has become a lost exercise, a lost art, we could say, in recent decades. And the question then I ask myself is why, when it's clearly scriptural, and it's a clear example of scripture in the Old and the New Testament, our Lord did it, the disciples did it, the early church did it, why is it not practiced anymore? Well, it is in small pockets, but in general, it's not taught about. People are not taught, they don't know. It's a word that they read, and they might think it's only for biblical times and not for now. Well, with that logic, we would say, well, praying is only for, it was in, only for in biblical times, and that does not the case at all. Some Reformed Christians might think, well, this is something that the Roman Catholic Church practices. Others might think, well, fasting is a form of legalism. But no, it is thoroughly biblical, and therefore you cannot say that it's Roman Catholic. It's biblical, both for the Old Testament and for the New Testament Church. And although we read from Daniel 9 and concerning only one of his seasons of prayer and fasting... And we will touch upon Daniel 9. We will be drawing a, a help from various other parts of Scripture to understand and, God willing, apply this almost lost practice, this spiritual exercise, this companion of prayer, the practice of fasting, which is the title of 
the sermon this morning, the practice of fasting in three points. Firstly, the expectation of biblical fasting. The expectation of biblical fasting. Secondly, the examples of biblical fasting. The examples of it. And thirdly, the exercising of biblical fasting. The exercising of biblical fasting. So firstly, there's an expectation that we would be fasting. Secondly, we have many examples of how to do it, of that it is done, I should say, in the Bible. And, and thirdly, how we are to do it. And secondly, why we are to do it. So firstly then, our first point, the expectation of biblical fasting with the Lord's help this morning. The expectation of biblical fasting. And I'll take you to Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. You don't have to look it up. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. And I'll read the whole of those verses, but it is the first phrase that you must hold on to. Moreover, when ye fast... Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may, may appear to men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." And so, as I mentioned, both the Old and the New Testament refer to this practice of fasting. So let's go back to the very simple um, beginning, Fasting 101, which would be a good title for the sermon itself. What does fasting mean? Well, both the Greek word and the Hebrew word, so the Hebrew word of the Old Testament and the Greek word of the New Testament, refer to that word means abstaining from food. So the abstaining from food. Uh, for whatever reason, it is just an abstaining from food. And the English word to fast is de derived from the word to fasten. You say, well, what on earth has that got to do with, with fasting? Well, it's the idea that fasting takes stamina. And so to hold on to what you're doing to hold on to the observance. You hold yourself to it. You're maintaining a time. And it became to mean to maintain a time of abstaining from food. In fact, the word breakfast. The word breakfast was the name of the first meal you had when you came to the end of a fast. You were breaking your fast. Nowadays, we use it in the mornings for breaking the fast of the night. Because most of us are asleep and not eating. You wake up, you're hungry, you're breaking your fast. But it was originally linked with fasting and the church. So fundamentally, the biblical word is, is speaking of abstaining from food for religious reasons. For spiritual reasons. And doing it unto God and not to be seen of uh, from men. Because if you're doing it, as we will see, and we will point to this later on, if you're doing it to be seen, to be seen of man, then your fasting is not a personal humiliation or humbling. 
is an act of pride. And then the Lord says they have their reward. The reward that they get is people will think, oh, they're very spiritual and they receive no grace, no blessing and no help from the Lord for their time of fasting. And so it is to be kept, obviously, in times of public fasting. Everyone knows we're all fasting. But it is to be kept between you and God and the Father that sees in secret will reward in public. But it is a part of spiritual life and we see that with the phrase that the Lord begins that, that text with, Matthew chapter 6. He says, when ye fast. It's the expectation of the Lord that his people do fast and he led by example. It's a part of spiritual life. It should be a part of national religion as it has been in better days. As I've mentioned, these days of solemn fasting in time of need. The people of God would fast as part of that time of prayer. It is also an important part of private spiritual exercise. And those things we will see in the following points. So there is an expectation by the scriptures and by the Lord Jesus Christ personally that we would fast. So the expectation of biblical fasting. Secondly, the examples of biblical fasting. And there are various examples. Examples of public fasting and prayer in the scriptures. You'll know the story of Esther, that Esther to save her people, the Jews, from destruction, she had to go in and see the king. But she, as the queen, was not allowed to enter the throne room unless she was called. She couldn't ask to be called. She had to just wait until the king would, would call her. And as she said to her uncle Mordecai, he hasn't called me in a while yet. And so she says... To her uncle Mordecai, she says in Esther 4 and verse 16, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, the name of the city they were at, and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish... I perish. If you went into the king without permission, it was possibly the death sentence. And so a three-day fast, night and day, was called. And she partook also. And if you say that's public fasting, it was done privately, but the people did it together. There's another time, and this time we're going outside of the people of God to the Ninevites. So at the preaching of Jonah, when he finally went to Nineveh and he preached, and preached for three days. He preached, however long it was, I think it was three days, but he preached a very clear and very simple gospel message that God's wrath was upon them and they must repent. And the Lord blessed that preaching to the people and to the princes and to the king. And Jonah 3 and verse 5 says this, 
And so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So everybody in society, from the king down to the lowly beggar, they all fasted. And that fasting was with prayer. They humbled themselves. They showed God that they took his warning and his threats uh, absolutely seriously. They humbled themselves because they had been rebuked as sinners and they feared the judgment of God. And so they fasted and they prayed. Who knowing, who knows whether God will look with mercy upon us and will turn away his wrath. Again, another time where, where the people at large would come together to fast and praise in the time of Nehemiah. And so they were preaching, the, uh, fi- uh, reading out from the law, and then after the law, discovering what the law said about the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And so they have the Feast of Booths, and then, and then after that again, on the 24th of that same month, they come together in public prayer and fasting. All of them, even the little ones, as the Word of God is doing its work in their souls and hearts. And so you have then public fasting, and there are other places we could point to in the Scriptures. So on a public, public fasting and prayer, but there's also ministry fasting and prayer. Ministry fasting and prayer that we see. When the disciples try, so the time is, that the Lord has gone up to the mount with the, with the, the three uh, inner circle disciples and he has been transfigured before them. And then they come down from the mount and they, they discover that there is an argument between the remaining nine disciples uh, and the Pharisees uh, concerning, concerning a, a young man and his father. And the young man was was filled with the devil. It was a devil that would try to kill him and, and even from a young child to try to throw him into water to drown him and to throw him into fire to burn him. And those disciples had tried to cast that devil out, but they couldn't. And so Christ comes and he casts out the devil with no problem. We say, well, of course, that's Christ. That's Christ. God-man, these are not God-men, these are merely men, but men of God. But we could say there was no difference as regarding their humanity because they worked all in the power of the Holy Ghost, Christ in the power of the Spirit and his disciples in the power of the Spirit. Because the difference wasn't, I'm, it's okay, disciples, I'm divine, that's why I can do this. He comes down on a very simple and spiritual level. He says in Matthew 17 and 21, he says, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, this kind of devil, goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So that was the difference. Not his divinity, but the fact that Christ prayed and fasted on a regular basis. He was, as it were, always ready to cast out the worst of demons because he prayed and fasted. In fact, it would indicate to us that his time upon that mount 
was also a time of prayer and fasting. And he came down and he was ready. But the disciples, the other his disciples were not. And there's great application to that. We will consider in our last, last point in, in that work of conquering sin and the devil in sanctifying in that aspect of prayer and fasting, that personal prayer and fasting. And also on Paul's first missionary journey, again in the aspect of ministry, of gospel ministry, we read in Acts 14 and 23, um, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they spent clearly a time of fasting and prayer to help them to, to choose, seeking the Lord's will and who would be uh, the elder, but also seeking the Lord's blessing upon that ordination of that elder, of those elders for their ministry in the congregations. And it was seen, therefore, as a necessary occasion. The choosing and ordaining of elders is a time for prayer and fasting. So within the, 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 the working of a congregation. It is also very highly probable, if we read the Scriptures, that in the time from Christ's ascension, and for those 10 days until the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that those 10 days were spent in fasting and praying. Now, if we read the beginning of Acts, we won't see that. We won't see that declared unto us. But if we go back to Luke and, and chapter 5, and this is when Christ, as he often does, defends attacks against his disciples. And there is many a sermon to be held there. The Christ, the shepherd, with his, with his crook, also has a staff or a rod to defend his people. He's a shepherd that defends and he's a king that is at war with those that will touch the apple of his eye. We see that here also. And Luke 5, verses 34 to 35, his disciples are accused. Why don't they fast like John's disciples? Why don't they fast like the Pharisees' disciples? And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So fasting in the ministry of the gospel, in the ministry of the church, fasting should be something that, that the ministers and the elders and even the deacons, remember the deacons as a highly, we haven't looked into the qualifications and the role of the deacons, but the de when we read in the scriptures, it is, they are to be no less spiritual than the elders. They are to be just as born again as the elders, and they are to be very spiritual, although their matters be of a practical nature. So public fasting and prayer, ministry fasting and prayer, 
Thirdly, private fasting and prayer. And that brings us now to Daniel 9. Daniel had been studying the book of Jeremiah. And you see the work of God's providence in there because Jeremiah had been preaching up to and including the captivity. And yet the The, uh, the chapters, all the, the, the whole book of his prophecies had been copied and a copy had made its way to Babylon or many copies and Daniel had a copy or he had access to a copy and he had read in Jeremiah that this captivity was only for 70 years and he had done his math and he had figured out the 70 years are finished. There is, as it were, the, the end of this waiting. We are now beginning with the year of Jubilee. We could say a 70-year Jubilee. That the captivity is to come to an end. Now, many modern Christians would turn around and say, well, you see, the, there's the promise in the Bible. Claim it. See, the Lord has said so, so we claim it. But there's an arrogance in, 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 and, a, and a pride is in that idea of claiming. Just that use of the word claim. This is mine and I will have it. And God must give it. Now, there's a truth in those matters. But that attitude, that approach to the Lord, is far removed from what we see with Daniel. And as we read, as Daniel is pouring out his soul before the Lord and, and humbling himself and praising the Lord and confessing their, their own sins and their worthlessness, and he prays that regarding the people, the nation, and his own personal sins. He's not just saying, oh Lord, the people, very abstract. He is speaking of the people. He's making supplication for the nation, but he, he's very honest and making supplication for himself. So in coming to the Lord... And praying to him and confessing sin and, 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 and worshipping the Lord at the same time. He humbly prays that the Lord will turn away the desolations of the nation and of the city called by their name. That he would listen to their prayers. And while he was still praying, the angel Gabriel visits him. And this is very interesting. He says, as soon as he started, this is what Gabriel says, as soon as you started praying. So as soon as he'd started his fast and his prayer, God had already answered and sent Gabriel to him. So it's not as though his, his praying and his fasting were earning anything. No, they put Daniel in the right frame of mind in the affliction of the soul and upon his knees before God and as we'll uh, read that he was uh, in, in sackcloth and ashes that he called in a right way to the Lord not demanding anything not claiming anything but bringing the Lord's word back to himself although those details we don't see it's not as though he then goes on and continues and says Lord for in thy prophet Jeremiah he doesn't get the chance for whiles he was yet speaking the Lord knows what he's going to pray on. 
And the answer to prayer was already given. In fact, he had prophesied upon it, about it through Jeremiah. Second example, then, of, of private fasting and prayer is of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and his temptation in the wilderness. He went into the wilderness, and was he tempted immediately? No. He spent 40 days fasting. When we see the word fast, and even if the word prayer is not mentioned, we will understand it is a time of prayer, of praying and fasting. And he did not touch food before he was tempted of the devil. And that was a time of spiritual preparation. There was something coming ahead. As, as Christ was to have a personal meeting with pure evil, and again, we might have this, well, he is the God-man. I mean, he is divine and, and human. But we must remember that his humanity is 100% humanity. Uh, Christ on earth was hungry and thirsty and would be fatigued. And, and although there's other things to be said about Christ, he was sinless, he, he never lied, and all these other matters, and yet he was a man coming into confrontation with pure evil. And Christ had decided, shall we say, that he needed 40 days of preparation, of fasting and praying before he had that confrontation with the devil. And if Christ needed to fast and pray, how much more his followers, how much more you and me when we see the evil in the world and we know ourselves to be beset and confronted by sin and foolishness and weakness. So that was just some examples of different types of biblical fasting. So we've seen the expectation of biblical fasting, the examples of biblical fasting, and now we have thirdly and finally the exercising of biblical fasting. The exercising of it. And so in the exercising, we could say, well, how to fast? How do you fast? Well, there's a, a few ways. I mean, I'm not talking about the details now. But the initial understanding of what fasting is, is firstly, abstaining from food. There is to be an abstaining from food. So we read in... In Daniel 9 and verse 3, he says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If you have any knowledge of the Scriptures, we say, yeah, that's classic biblical fasting. Sackcloth and ashes, praying and fasting. But if we go to chapter 10 and verse 3, we see how he fasted in a different way. And again, biblically valid. He says, I ate no pleasant bread, no pleasant food. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three weeks, three whole weeks were fulfilled. Verse 2 actually says, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. So his mourning, his, his godly sorrow... And we see how he mourned, how he fasted. 
So what that essentially says is Daniel ate a simple vegetarian food. He ate no flesh. He abstained from alcohol. It says he did not use oil uh, to anoint his, his head or his skin. A necessary use of a... Uh, oil was used as a soap that they would rub the oil in and then scrape it off um, as a soap to get rid of the, the filth in the pores. It would also be used as a, as a moisturizer in that... Uh, warm and dry uh, Middle Eastern uh, weather. But he said, no, I'm not using that. I'm not eating meat. I'm not drinking alcohol. I'm going to have the simplest of, of, of vegetarian food. And he did not use oil. It may even mean he did not even bathe for three weeks. And that we would call that a partial fast. A partial fast. It's not as though he's, he stopped eating for three weeks. No. But he simplified his food. He humbled his food and, and humbled himself. And that was, for three weeks, that was a, a fairly long period. Then the question is, how long should you fast for? Well, you can skip one meal. Skipping one meal would be a fast. You say, sometimes I do skip a meal because I'm busy with work. Yeah, but skipping that meal in fasting is to spend that time of the meal in prayer that's the point of the skipping the you might skip half a day's worth of food you might miss breakfast and lunch and then you'll come and have your evening meal again that time for breakfast and that time for lunch would be uh, in the worship of god in the in the searching of the scriptures in in praying uh, to the lord it could be a whole day a 24-hour fast three days three days fast that we've We've seen mentioned elsewhere. Could be a week, a week's fast, 10 days fast. You'll find that after about three days of fasting, that it becomes naturally easier. The, the body gets very used to it. And so if it's a difficult, and it can be difficult for the first day, two days, the second day can be the worst, the third day even, even worse. Fighting the hunger pans. This is all part. This is why the, the scriptures use the word affliction when it comes to fasting. It's not easy. But hold fast. Going back to the English understanding of the word. Hold fast. And after about the third day. It becomes much easier to do then a, a week or ten days. We know of course the, the, the period of 40 days. Moses is up in the mountain. He fasts for 40 days. And then... Very quickly after that, there's another period of 40 days. Uh, the Lord, as we've mentioned, fasted for 40 days in, in the wilderness. And some people would say, that's dangerous, that's impossible. It isn't. There are many that have done the 40 days. Um, but as long as you are in reasonable health and you're taking in fluids, it's not impossible, but it may not be advisable for everyone. And in the sense that if you're if you just want to take up a bit of running, I wouldn't advise do a marathon tomorrow. You're to build up slowly. Just jog around the block. Just jog around the barn or whatever it is. And then do it twice the next day and maybe uh, slowly build up. I think maybe 10 days might be an, a, a good limit for most people. 24 hours is a very useful time. Praying for a specific thing and wanting to fast for it it seems also that david fasted regularly we, we 
Uh, we, um, we sang Psalm 35, and if we'd sung further down, I think it was verse 13, then it would talk about him actually fasting. Uh, we'll refer to that psalm in a second, in a moment. But it seems at one time that David fasted for so long that he actually lost weight. So that's not a 24-hour fast. This would be at least least a week, 10 days, maybe even three weeks like Daniel did. Psalm 109 and verse 24 reveals that to us. He says, My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh faileth of fatness. So, of course, if you're not eating food, then you can become physically weak, and so you will need to sleep more, you'll need to rest more, you can't be necessarily as active. But that's ideal for being on your knees and praying to the Lord. And even going back to Daniel and our text for today, again, we see that that humbling. He humbles his body by not eating. He humbles his body by taking his nice clothes off and putting sackcloth on. He humbles himself by putting ashes on his head and maybe on his face and maybe even kneeling in the ashes as he is praying. But of course, the whole point of all this and all fasting once again, and for Daniel in chapter 9, was to seek by prayer and supplication. He was seeking something. He was seeking the Lord. He was seeking an answer from the Lord. So abstaining from food is the very heart of fasting. There's also, secondly, in the Scriptures, part of fasting or a type of fast is abstaining from intimacy. So this is only relevant for the married couples. Abstaining from intimacy. In Exodus, just before the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, in Exodus 19, Moses had received the command of God, a number of things about the mountain and whatever, but he says in Exodus 19, verses 14 and 15, and Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. So they were prepared themselves. They were to wash their clothes. They were to keep their bodies uh, clean. And they were to keep themselves focused upon the Lord and not to have times of intimacy. Although fasting from fruit is not mentioned here, but it's clearly... Uh, related to it it's not mentioned it may have just been that fasting from intimacy and we think well that's old testament that's the giving of the law we're new testament christians that's that's not for us but it is so we have a similar when ye fast moment in one corinthians and, and in chapter seven an important chapter regarding marriage and this is what paul teaches the gentile church at corinth 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, he says, Defraud ye not one the other. In other words, do not refuse each other, husbands and wives, from times of intimacy. And then he gives the one reason why you could say no. I mean, there are other reasons why, but actual reasons. He says, except it be with consent for a time. So you mutually agree for a season that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not 
for your incontinency, your lack of self-control. So here we have advice given to married couples in the Church of Christ that with mutual consent for a time you can abstain from intimacy when you abstain from food and take time to pray. When you're fasting and praying, that is when you may, with consent, you both agree to abstain also from intimacy. Does that mean you always must abstain from intimacy when you're fasting and praying? No. He's just saying this is the time when you fast. That is a time when you can abstain also. And again, that's saying no to the desires and the needs of the body. So you see how that is related to the fasting from food, abstaining from food, abstaining from intimacy, saying no to the body, saying no to the body's needs, that you can say yes to God and spend time in prayer to God. That This is work of the soul, and by working the soul, exercising the soul, we're saying no to the flesh. And thirdly, as we've already mentioned, in fasting, so abstaining from food, abstaining from intimacy, and thirdly, abstaining from publicizing your fasting. And we've touched upon that. <clears throat> Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, etc. Private fasting is not to be made public, as I've mentioned. It's between you and God. Now, when you're living in a family and you're fasting, or the whole family's fasting, then you'll know that each other's fasting. But it's not going out and, and telling everybody and... and uh, or even on the way you carry yourself and, and how the way you look to other people so that they will pick up on the hint that you're actually fasting. Sometimes you can't help it. You know, if the family members, aren't you sitting down with the meal today? And you say, well, no, I'm, I'm just going to skip this meal. Oh, yeah, why is that? You're not feeling well? No, no, I'm, I'm just going to spend some time in prayer. And then you, you, you move off. It's not a good idea if you're the only one in the family fasting to sit at the table when everyone's eating the food. That's, that's very tempting and it's, 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 it's troubling because your eyes are going to see and your, your body is going to get ready for food and it won't help you in your maintaining your fast. So avoid the meal table in that regard. So fasting is skipping meals. And if you're on your own or the family's doing it as a, a, together, it's skipping the preparation for meals. So you consider how much time you spend in preparing meals and how much time you spend in eating those meals and then in the washing up for each meal. That's all time won for prayer, for worship, for scripture reading, for studying, especially for prayer. But often reading the scriptures, as you know yourself, brings you to prayer. But it is ultimately about humbling yourself before God. So we've mentioned something about how to fast. What about secondly, why fast? What's the point? Now in my uh, research, and not just recently but at other times, sometimes you'll get, especially in high churches, but they'll say, well, fasting is a means of grace. It isn't. Fasting is not a means of grace. 
but seeking the Lord in prayer is. You see how it's linked. In fasting, you're spending time in prayer. You're looking to the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm humbling myself. I'm abasing myself. Lord, exalt me in due course. Help me. And you're spending time praying for a number of people or you're spending time for a specific thing. And we look at various reasons for fasting and praying. But it is the prayer that is the biblical means of grace. And how do I know that? Because come boldly unto the throne of grace. When we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Preaching is a means of grace. That we know that faith cometh by the hearing of the word of God, etc. So we know what the means of grace are because the Bible tells us that it is through this that God grants grace. And it is only those things. Singing of Psalms, Colossians 3 and verse 16. That we sing the Psalms with grace in our hearts. So those three elements of public worship I've mentioned... And so they are scripturally told uh, to us that these are the the ways that God will grant grace to his people and to those who are yet to be his people. But fasting itself is not a means of grace, but it gives us opportunity to make good use of a glorious means of grace and a difficult means of grace, and that is prayer. We can say a prayer. We can utter a petition. But to spend a season in prayer, to spend half an hour or an hour, uh, or, or a few hours in prayer. And maybe you'll have a list, maybe you won't, maybe you'll just have a scripture text that keeps on talking to you, and you're praying uh, about these matters, or about these people, or about this situation, and you're, you're praying and spending that time. That is hard work. Some would say that praying is the most spiritual thing that a believer can ever do. As we're laying hold of the throne of grace, as we're we're coming before the Lord, we're entering into his presence in prayer, uh, but the body doesn't want to do it. We all know this. The flesh is at enmity with the spirit, but praying is a spirit-filled, and should be a spirit-filled activity. So it is difficult, and that's one reason why we tell the body to, as it were, shut up. We tell the body to, as it were, mind its own business and know its place. The born-again soul needs now to deal with the Saviour, needs to deal with its God and Father. And that, that's the challenge, that's the fight. You could say that it is a form of mortifying the flesh. It is. It is. And so it's not, the, 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 it's not fasting as a means of grace itself. It's what you do when you're fasting. Approaching the Lord in prayer humbling the flesh resisting the hunger and as i meant as i mentioned fasting means that time is spent instead of preparing the meals instead of eating of the meals instead of washing up after the meals instead of going out to buy food for the meals but that time one it can be used for reading the scriptures and singing psalms and praying and praying and praying and as with all things you don't go into a gym and start trying to lug on 400 pounds uh, of weight in the deadlift if you're if you're not very strong you've never been to the gym before you 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 start small you start light and that is the 
the way in fasting as well. It is. Fasting is, is a part of repentant prayer. It's a part of repentant prayer. And so that example I gave from Nehemiah, it says, now in the 20 and 4th day of this month, this is from the beginning of chapter 9, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them, just like the ash. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Repentant prayer. Repentant prayer. Again, it's, it's humbling the body, but it's also a humbling of the soul. Afflicting the soul is a phrase describing fasting in the Scriptures. Praying for specific needs. Again, we could go into, spend a long time over these, but praying, uh, we say, for, uh, for repentance, or praying as part of a repentant prayer. Fasting as part of repentant prayer. Fasting in praying for specific needs. And Psalm 35 talks about this. That David talks about fasting and praying for his enemies. You might think, well, isn't that New Testament doctrine? No. It's the doctrine of the church. That we are to love our enemies and we are to pray for them. And David prayed and fasted for them. And even after such spiritual kindness for them, as we sang, you know, it was, it was returned unto him. The prayers were not of benefit because they would not repent of their evil. But he says that they rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned unto mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. He's on his knees. He's prostrated almost. Fasting and praying for their help when they were sick. So for specific things, praying for those that are sick, praying for those loved ones, praying, maybe praying for your own, because you have become sick, because you've had a bad diagnosis, and it causes you to fast and pray for help in time, uh, uh, for grace to help in time of need. Even praying for the souls of loved ones is an excellent motive for a time of a season of prayer and fasting, however long or short that is. Praying before expected trials. Praying and fasting. As we saw Esther do. As we saw the Lord do in the 40 days before the temptation in the wilderness. So something's coming up and you're really concerned. That is a time, uh, not necessarily all of the days, that it's, but that is a time when seasons of prayer and fasting are very, very uh, advisable. And of course, when the trial hits and you're in the middle of the trial, take time to pray and fast. Be it skipping just one meal and spending that time in prayer and seeking the Lord's help. It can be as simple and as short as that. What about praying to discern the will of God? And we've already pointed, uh, pointed to this, touched upon this. Trying to understand what, what God's will is in something. It's similar to what Daniel 9 is. So you don't know 
what the Lord will do and how he will do it. And yet you're seeking the Lord's will that he would open your eyes and, and, and providentially make known what his will is. And what, what decision do I have to make? Are we to go there? Are we to do this? How am I to know this? Well, you can pray and you can pray and that's good. But praying and fasting turns prayer up a few notches. And that prayer to conquer sin and fleshliness. We could say that's a prayer for personal spiritual revival as well. Bring those two together. And so there is a, a bosom sin. The easily besetting sins, Paul's writing, Paul writes in Hebrews 11. The easily besetting sins, are, to beset is to siege. So it's those sins that are very close to us and siege us. They're around us and, 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 and we can't seem to escape their power and their influence. Fast and pray. Fast and pray. Because in that praying, of course, you're fasting, you're denying the body, you're denying its sinful desires, and you're seeking strength for the soul. So for conquering sin and fleshliness is really this idea of also... Related, praying for personal spiritual revival. Looking for blessings from heaven. And when fasting is done as the Lord has commanded it, and that I would refer you then to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, the people are complaining that they fast and the Lord is not answering their prayers. The Lord is not here. We fast, thou hearest not. And then he explains to them why. He says that when you fast, you're a bunch of oppressive hypocrites. It says you, you're wicked and are not repenting of your sin. Yeah, the, 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 the people are hungry on the streets or, or those that work for you. Are, are, you're, you're fasting and praying. You're having this time of spirituality and you're still being oppressive to your own workers. Being unmerciful to those you should be merciful to. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And then he says, he rebukes them for it. And then in Isaiah 58, verses 8 to 12, he says this. He gives them a promise when they fast in the fasting that he desires. He says, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall bring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday, and the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, etc. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. So we see in the humbling, in fasting and praying is also to be repentant of wickedness of sin, which is the first application uh, for why. But finally then, how do we apply all that we've learned this morning? Well, in the context of the upcoming time of prayer, allow me to encourage uh, you to come prepared by a short season of fasting. 
But some words of advice before I give you some ideas. It's understandable if someone's unwell, or if they're weak or they have some illness like type 1 diabetes, not type 2, but type 1, that you are unable to fast for any length of time. Also, younger children might not be able to fast easily, although we did see in the time of Nehemiah that everybody was fasting, young and old. But if they do fast, or if you cause them to fast, their behavior might become quite difficult because they don't understand that they're fasting. They just know that mummy or daddy's not giving them food. So age is to be taken into account. And a child might just fast for 10 minutes. Say, here's the the food. Let's just pray a little bit longer. That's good to do with cold food, by the way. So little ones don't always know. But they could try to do fast along. And so not all members of the family necessarily need to fast, but all members may try it. And so let's just consider this. Two types of fasting. Because fasting is a cutting down on the amount of food that you eat, you may, for example, eat a light salad during the day and have a partial fast like Daniel did in chapter 10. Or you could cut out a meal or a number of meals and have a full fast like Daniel did in chapter 9. But you must still drink water. This is one of the crucial things. Fasting is to be filled with prayer, but also keep taking in your fluids, keep drinking, and and drinking tea and coffee. Some people fast from coffee as well. That's their choice. It's your choice. One one pro tip, as it were, is to drink um, stock cubes in warm water. Keep your salt intake up. And of course, avoid alcohol when fasting. So alcohol, alcohol is, is, is something that is not uh, conducive to spirituality. And fasting is a time of humbling yourself. Where alcohol, as the, teachers, uh, as the scriptures teach us, is, is something for joy and for uh, rejoicing and celebrating marriage and things like that. So we have partial fasting, that's your choice. Full fast, that's your choice. Let me just make that point. The point of fasting is not for physical health. Somebody's ears may have pricked up when they heard, oh, David, he lost weight on a time of fast. I'll do the same. Yeah, there are, there are ways of fasting. Dieting, you call it, or, or what is very helpful for the body, intermittent fasting, but they are medical, physical things. We're not talking about physical things. We're talking about things for the soul. And so, as it were, humbling the flesh that the soul will be exalted in time of prayer. So intermittent fasting, dieting is for physical health. Biblical fasting is for spiritual health. And let me give you three examples of how you might want to. And again, I'm not, I'm not binding anyone's conscience with these things. It's how you might want to approach the that time of prayer. So on the day, you might just eat a light breakfast. You might skip your lunch, your midday meal, and then have your evening meal. So in lunchtime, you've had some time of prayer to prepare yourself for the evening. A second suggestion might mean that you miss your evening meal, your main meal, 
might even have a light lunch uh, and breakfast, but you miss your main meal of the day, five o'clock, six o'clock, whenever. And then you come to the prayer service, hungry, fasting. And you go home and you have a decent supper. Again, those two suggestions are not too heavy, but it's sort of building up in heaviness. And the third suggestion is a 24-hour fast. So you might want to have your last evening meal on the Tuesday evening. That's your last meal. And then you fast for the whole of Wednesday, drinking your water and your tea and your stock cubes. And then you break your fast when you go home after the service. A variation or a combination or none of those. Life can overtake us. But I think for many of us it would be the first time uh, or the first time for a while. And so it's maybe good to take that moment of prayer um, to have a time of fasting. May, may the Lord grant you wisdom in making use of this important spiritual exercise. For we know it comes with a great blessing as we've already examined. Amen. Let us stand for prayer. O oh Lord, most high, we have considered something of what the scriptures teach about fasting and praying. And Lord, for some of us, it may be a very new thing. Maybe we're not very good at missing any meal. And yet, Lord, would thou help us even to consider, even to attempt, even a, a small try of, of abstaining from food that we may spend time in prayer. And Lord, that we may know the blessing of God upon us for it. And we may not know it immediately. We may see its outworking in the weeks and months afterwards and even in the answers to prayer. But Lord, would I be pleased to help us uh, even to pray more and when we fast, what excuse do we have? We do not. We haven't filled our time with these other matters. We are abstaining from food to spend time in prayer. And so help us, O Lord, and prepare us all for that time of prayer. And maybe look to Thee, O Lord, as we come before Thee repentantly and with these supplications, Lord, for those, the present drought situation and for the state of the nation and the church in the world for our own personal, physical, and spiritual needs, that thou will be pleased to be very present and to give answer to the prayers of thy people. And we pray thee these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll close by singing from Psalm 109. Psalm 109. verse 21 verses 21 to 27 so verses 21 to 27 in verse 24 is what I quoted my knees through fasting weakened are my flesh hath fatness lost but we will sing from verse 21 but do thou for thine own name's sake, O God the Lord, for me. Sith, meaning since, God, good and sweet thy mercy is from trouble 
set me free. So verses 21 to 27 of Psalm 109, singing to the tune of Belerma.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.